Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, October 25th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, after weeks of dry weather, severe storms return to the forecast. Then, Byram, Mississippi isn't part of Jackson anymore. But they still share a water system, and that means they share a water crisis. Plus, the nation's report card shows nearly every state's test scores declined since 2019. That includes Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's been a dry couple of weeks, but that could change across much of the state today. After a period of mild temperatures and little to no rain, severe weather could return to much of Mississippi as a cold front moves through the area. Joining us now to talk about the threats this system could bring us is Mike Edmonston with the National Weather Service in Jackson. Hello, Mike. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining us to talk about this. Um, yes. Currently, we're looking at the radar and the cold front and the line that's showing the potential for any severe is making its way maybe a little faster than anticipated. It's uh, The line is basically already entering western Yazoo and western Hines County, and generally you could say Warren County and at least along the Mississippi River and to the west is pretty much done with today. This thing is uh, racing through the line are racing through our area, and it should be moving through central Mississippi during the next several hours, and it will still show the potential of bringing damaging winds up to 60 miles per hour, and we're still monitoring for the potential for a tornado or two. But the good news is it's moving fast, and we're not, we're not being able to destabilize as fast ahead of it. So basically it looks like central Mississippi may get um, the least amount of severe weather, and as we start getting toward the noon hour and into the afternoon, uh, maybe eastern Mississippi will probably have the greatest potential of seeing severe weather today as this thing continues to move swiftly through the area. Okay, so as that cold front moves through, are we going to see rain, wind? Can you describe for us what to expect? Yes, even ahead of the line that's moving into, again, western Hines, Western Yazoo, it's pretty much on a north-south line. We're seeing gusty winds up to 30, 35 miles per hour out of the south ahead of the line. So there could be some gusty winds along um, well ahead of the line, but the damaging winds will come with 
a very narrow window, maybe an hour or two with this very narrow band of thunderstorms. And we're expecting, you know, pretty good timing with that. We'll be updating our graphics through the day. And again, it looks like it'll be moving into the I-55 corridor within the next couple of hours and then quickly shifting east as we start heading toward the noon hour. So again, eastern Mississippi will be under the greatest threat. Behind the line, we're looking for drying conditions and uh, a breezy northwest wind that'll uh, be knocking the temperatures back down into the 60s. As far as rainfall concerns, we're definitely not looking too much in potential for uh, flash flooding. This uh, rainfall totals, as this line goes through, will probably have a hard time making a half an inch. Most of the rainfall totals now that we're seeing pretty much going to be between a quarter and a third of an inch. So not much rainfall with this, but it still has the potential for uh, wind and perhaps a brief tornado or two. So when you talk about tornadoes, where are you talking about tornadoes popping up? Um, anywhere along the line. So right now, the threat is with the line. So anywhere from uh, western Hines County, western um, Yazoo, all the way to the Alabama border across eastern Mississippi. But it looks like there's not going to be much potential for the next hour. It looks like the greatest potential will be if we can heat up ahead of the line over eastern Mississippi during the afternoon. So north Mississippi won't be affected by that? Oh, no, the, the line extends all the way up. I thought we were focusing on central Mississippi. but uh, The entire our, state. Oh, okay. Um, yes, north Mississippi is also under the gun, all the way up to Tupelo. So the greatest threat perhaps would be east of Interstate 55. That's about the best way to, it runs you know, throughout the whole state, north and south. So east of 55 is looking like the greatest threat for a tornado. But again, the primary threat is going to be damaging winds. We're still looking uh, to see if we're going to destabilize enough during the afternoon. Because some systems, if we can destabilize ahead, sometimes there will be an isolated severe storm potential well ahead of the main line. But in this particular case today, we're talking about just basically one line. There's not going to be much potential for any uh, isolated or stray storms well ahead of the line. It's pretty much going to be focused within uh, an hour or two that the line will move through any one location. And we're having pretty good timing with the line. It's moving, like I said, again, a little bit faster into the central Mississippi than we anticipated. And uh, that means it could be exiting eastern Mississippi you know, by 3 p.m. a little bit or even earlier in the afternoon. And describe destabilizing for us. Oh, well, if you walked out this morning, you already know that we're kind of warm and humid. We're running in the lower 70s, or upper 60s to lower 70s right now, and uh, our dew points, which means an indication of moisture is back in the area. So if we were to break out, which we're not, we have pretty much overcast skies across the state. If we were to somehow get into the low to mid-80s, you can anticipate more intense storm with the uh, with the ingredients that we have out there today. In terms of rainfall, we are in desperate need of rain, and you're saying there's not going to be much with this. There will be probably a, a quarter to a third of an inch uh, rainfall total with this particular system. But if you're looking for rain, the good news is uh, there's another system bringing rainfall back across the state on Friday. Is that going to bring severe weather too? We're monitoring it for severe weather. It does show some potential, but not 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 great. So as we get closer, we'll be able to refine that forecast. But at this, at this point in time, I'd say uh, we're not really anticipating severe, but it may have a potential of bringing a little bit more rainfall, maybe, a, maybe in excess of a half an inch compared to this one. Okay. My last question, as this front goes through, 
are we going to see a dip in temperatures behind it? Yes, but not. Uh, we'll see the temperatures decrease back into the uh, 60s. But we're looking to bottom out, you know, tomorrow morning in the 40s. But let me look. Uh, you may not see uh, temperatures in the 50s until the sun goes down, you know, thereafter 6, 7 p.m. So we're looking into the 60s behind the front today. Anything else we need to know about this before you go? No, that's it. It's the damaging wind threat and the tornado threat and the fact that it's already moving into uh, central Mississippi and those along the rivers and to the west are already pretty much in the clear. All right. Thank you so much, Mike Edmonston with the National Weather Service in Jackson. We appreciate your time. Yes, thank you. Coming up, how residents of one small town are fighting to distinguish themselves from their troubled neighbor. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Byron, Mississippi wants independence. It won that about a decade ago by successfully breaking off from the capital city. But the two cities are still tied together in one crucial way. Byram still relies on Jackson's troubled water system. Danny McArthur of the Gulf States Newsroom reports on how Jackson's water woes trickled down to the small town. The street outside Mildred Cochran's home in Byram is being eroded by a water leak. It's a problem that Jackson City Water Crews should be fixing, but she says they've been failing at it for months. It's so bad. It's leaking in a lot of places. You you can hear it gurgling sometimes. (laughs) She's right. Get close to the puddling road, and you can hear air bubbles snap, crackle, and pop. The leak is just one example of why Cochran doesn't like being associated with Jackson. Byron broke off from Jackson and became its own city 13 years ago. And she thinks they're doing just fine on their own. They've got a Walmart now, a small town sign of success. And I just emphasize it like my sister. I said, don't tell people I live in Jackson. Tell them I live in Byram. We're a city now. To be clear, city is a bit of a stretch. Byram's population is just about 12,000 people. But it has grown nearly 70% in two decades. Most of that growth is driven by its black residents, who make up the majority of the population. That includes Juanita Shepard. She is a Jackson native who came to Byram to retire. She's concerned that her children will have to deal with the same water issues she grew up with. Uh, The infrastructure with the water has been bad since I was a little girl. So it was bad then, but I don't remember as much maintenance and issues with it as, as now. In Byram, she doesn't experience those problems as much. Like most of the town, Shepard uses well water. Jackson owns and maintains the water infrastructure, but it's not water from the city's aging treatment plant. Because of this, she does not experience the frequent boil water notices. But the problems still reach Byram. Eventually, it kind of trickles down here, but it's not as great of a need 
as it is in Jackson. Some places in Byram do get their water from Jackson plants. So they dealt with the recent boil water notice that lasted almost seven weeks. Places like Monty's Steak and Seafood. My name is actually Monday, like the day of the week. Mondayago owns the restaurant, named Monty's because a coworker kept calling him by the wrong name. Ago moved his restaurant to Byram to escape another water-related problem, frequent flooding at his old Jackson location. He loves the new spot. He's got great landlords, and he says some of Jackson's problems, like the rising crime rates, haven't followed him to Byram. Most of the time when Jackson is having a problem, it doesn't come to this area. But now it comes here. During the most recent water crisis, he was able to keep the restaurant running with bottled water. But the restaurant's reputation took a hit. He says customers still do not trust the water. Algo estimates he lost a quarter of his usual business. That's hard to swallow after spending decades growing a loyal following. I'm not being able to realize, you know, the, the benefit what you're working hard for due to circumstances like the water and stuff like that. It makes it, it, make it, it, it really hurts. As long as Byram shares the city's water system, its fate is tied to Jackson and the state, but both continue to be at odds. That tension was on display last week when Governor Tate Reeves and Mayor Shokwe Antar Lumumba traded dueling press releases over the management of the water crisis. Algo feels there is not enough cooperation between government officials to actually give Jackson what it needs. They support to concentrate their money on the capital city, but in this situation, the infrastructure is run down. Everything is run down. Byron wants to bypass the conflict by severing ties with the Jackson water system and creating their own. But that's a whole other set of problems. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Danny McArthur. Tune in tomorrow for more on Byron's plan to create its own water system and the problems that come with going it alone. The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public media stations in Louisiana and Alabama. Civil rights groups and elected officials continue questioning if the state discriminates against Jackson with its allocation of federal money. Yesterday, the state and NAACP chapters hosted a town hall discussing the latest developments in their federal complaint against Mississippi. The groups allege Jackson was racially discriminated against and asked for an investigation into how the state allocates federal dollars. National NAACP President Derek Johnson says the Environmental Protection Agency notified the NAACP their complaint has merit. Johnson suggested it would be a test of the Biden administration's commitment towards environmental justice. And if this current administration said that their goal is to address structural racism, structural barriers, Jackson must be the test case. Second District Congressman Benny Thompson is one of two congressional committee chairs asking Governor Tate Reeves for details about Mississippi's spending of federal funds. Thompson says the state received more than $10 billion in federal funding from the American Rescue Plan Act and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. Over $400 million was earmarked for improving the state water infrastructure. It's not so much that there's a lack of resources, it's whether or not the citizens of Jackson 
will be treated equally in the disbursement of those federal funds that have come to the state, plain and simple. The EPA says it will move forward with an investigation. Coming up, the nation's report card shows nearly every state's test scores declined since 2019, and Mississippi is no exception. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. We know you love MPB Think Radio to stay informed, but sometimes you need a little music to relax and unwind. MPB Music Radio has a variety of genres and is with you all the time on the MPB Public Media app, right on your mobile device. Bluetooth it in the car or pop in your earbuds and take a listen to MPB Music Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The National Assessment of Education Progress, or NAP, is a congressionally mandated program that measures math and reading performance and growth, also known as the nation's report card. It is the largest national measure of student achievement, and this year's report card reveals nearly every state's test scores declined since 2019, and that includes Mississippi. The state's scores for the National Assessment of Education Progress exceeded the national average in 2019, but much of that progress has been undone by classroom disruptions throughout the pandemic, according to the new report. Peggy Carr is commissioner for the National Center for Education Statistics. She says across the country, math scores took their biggest dip in the program's history. The five-point decline at grade four and the eight-point decline at grade eight are the largest declines we have ever recorded for this national assessment. We're going to look uh, now at the percentiles Specifically, those at the 10th and the 25th percentiles, I'll refer to them as lower performers. Those at the 75th and the 90th percentiles, I'll refer to them as the higher performers. And then, of course, we have those at the 50th percentile. They're sort of in the middle. So beginning with uh, fourth grade uh, on the left, we see declines across the percentiles. However, lower performers decline at a faster rate. So that six and seven that you see there is statistically different from the top of the distribution at two and three. So that means the lower performers were declining at a faster rate. For grade eight mathematics, and that's shown here on the right, we see uniform declines across all percentiles with lower and higher performers declining at the same rate. So everyone's going down and at the same rate. Those are different patterns. 
Reading scores for fourth and eighth grade students also dropped compared to 2019, and Mississippi students followed those trends. Former Mississippi State Superintendent of Education Dr. Kerry Wright was on hand in Washington, D.C. to analyze the data from the report. This is not a time to lower expectations for children. This is not a time to lower expectations for teachers and leaders. Um, This is a time to keep expectations very high. I'm a firm believer that children will do and can do what you tell them they will do and can do and provide the support to get them there. So this is not a time to water anything down. This is alarming. Our nation should be, all eyes should be on this in every single state. I can tell you that the first thing that I did was to take a look at our data compared to our statewide data because I think that's what states should be looking at as well. Does your NAEP data mirror what you're seeing on your statewide assessments? And if not, why not? And if it does, then that's a signal that they're probably, you know, in, they're probably compatible. For example, Mississippi held its own in reading um, compared to what it could have happened. And I honestly att- could attribute that to the fact that we have had a very strong foundation in the science of reading K3, and that has not stopped. Um, it also, when we look at uh, what happened with us with, with NAEP, it also, our math drops also mirror our, our math drops that we, that we also see um, nationally. So I think that's a part that I think is really, and we're going to talk about this a little, bit, a little bit later, but I think it's very important to keep in line with the fact that NAEP gives you a, a global picture, but your statewide assessment is really where you have to drill down to individual children. Wright says state education departments should be utilizing data from the report to identify students for intervention, avoiding one-size-fits-all solutions. I think families are really going to be depending a lot on teachers and leaders to do just that. I, you know, they, you know, I've often said, you know, parents entrust us with their most prized possessions. Somebody once said that and then said they don't keep the good kids at home. And uh, that is so true. These little ones come to school every single day, and I use little ones meaning K-12. They come to school every single day, and parents are depending on us to do that. And so my advice even to my team and, and to the state is, you know, behind every data point is a face. And if you don't know who that face is, you're missing the boat. Because you, there is not a one-size-fits-all for African-American children. There's not a one-size-fits-all for students with disabilities. You've got to drill down to that individual child. And that's where your state data and district data really can, can come to fro. Because that's when you, teachers and leaders need to be gathering around tables right now, data charts out in front of them, identifying children that are in need of service. Because these eighth graders that did so miserably are now in high school. So our time is, is passing by, and we really need to be drilling down to individual children to see what's going on with them. And most importantly, following that, what, what help do our teachers need? I mean, our professional development and building the capacity of our teachers is huge because I think every teacher comes into school every day wanting to do the very best that they can, every single teacher. But just like all of us, some arrive at these jobs with gifts that others don't have. But that doesn't mean they can't learn those skill sets that they need in order to make sure that they're the best that they could be in front of that classroom. Carrie Wright is the former Mississippi State Superintendent of Education. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.